We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning to you. IB Countdown to kickoff is up and rolling. Glad to have you with us with Vince D'Addario, Sean Steyer. You, you don't look, you know, like, it's funny, Vince, because we're always here, regardless of what time the game kicks up. Yeah. We're always here at 10 a.m. live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Doesn't it feel like a little earlier today to you? Yes. I don't know how you feel. <laughs> well, I mean, if this is any indication, and we did not discuss this before the game before the show, I still have my pajama pants on. <laughs> so nice. it does feel a little bit earlier than normal. That's, and, I mean, uh, that's no different than if you were doing the radio show, though, right? Like if you were back in the old go to the studio days, <laughs> you're still wearing the pajama pants, that's right? Potential. That's potentially. I, I try not to wear the pajama pants out of the house, but there's a very fine line of difference between the pajama pants and the sweatpants, right? To be honest. And I was very much a sweatpant guy at, as a gym teacher. So, yeah, I can you know, see that again. A very fine comfortable line. waist, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> expandable. I had a good breakfast this morning. Mine are know. mostly gym shorts around the house, you know. And that's so fair, that, not it, far off. I do the gym shorts during when it's a little warmer outside. Yeah. I, I had, I still beauty. do it in the winter. I can't like get too uh, much like a sweatshirt, but I'll still wear the shorts, you know. Okay, so. that's that's manly of you. I, I will say. <laughs> That I was still a little chilly from last night. You know, I had student section duty, you know, last night at the football game and yeah. it got a little chilly towards the end. And uh, I needed to throw the old pants on when I got home. So awesome. Yeah. We've got Notre Dame in Syracuse today as the yes, Irish sir. head north to the JMA Wireless Dome. You know, it's not very often, formerly the Carrier Dome, of course. It'll always be the Carrier Dome. Can I just throw that I know. out there? It seems weird saying JMA Wireless what Dome. Is, that's, no. that's like a little more, you know, like, off brand or something <laughs> it's it's just like for example the l tallest building in chicago will always be what the sears tower the sears tower it will never be whatever they call it now i'm gonna say i don't even know what it is now but i know it's something different it's not yes. the sears tower exactly maybe. it's the sears tower it will never be anything other than that so yeah. See, i'm sorry john i'm agrees. a traditionalist john Thank agrees you, john. he says it's the carrier dome so yeah. i think a lot of people probably still feel that way our old buddy brent's is listening once again in Monterey, California. Man. Always glad to have you. I've been meaning to ask you, Brent, Campagno's, little sandwich shop just outside DLI, where, of course, I was for a year. That's why I've got the familiarity with Monterey. It's a little 
kind of mom and pop sandwich shop. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if Brent has ever been to Campanos. It's a huge favorite of everyone who goes through DLI. I'm in like one of these DLI Defense Language Institute, um, you know, like Facebook groups and everyone's, you know, like anytime anybody goes there, they post their Campanos pictures. And I'm just curious, <laughs> like if Brent is a Campanos fan or if that's, you know, like more, you know, just people who go through there, like, like what the locals think of Campanos. And, oh, and Brent says, yes, sir. Absolutely. There we go. So I might have to send you a check sometime, Brent, because I need, <laughs> I've been like, I see those pictures and I'm like, man, I would love one of those Italian subs sometimes. So my mouth is watering, but I <laughs> love that. That's right. Love the, uh, love the, I always love the Saturday group. You know, there's just a little more, you know, I love all the, 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 you know, the shows, you know, the people who chime into the shows and a lot of people are, are regulars regardless of what day of the week it is, but everyone's just got a little bit different energy when it's game day. You know, they do. So. And it's, it's going to be very strange. Like last week we went from the show, get in the car, head to the stadium, but there was, you know, three hours of difference or two hours of difference between the end of the show and the game. Literally the show's going to get over and it's kickoff. Like, yep. Let's go. I mean, this is, <laughs> I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about having a post game show done before dinner. Like that just doesn't. I, know, I told my wife last night, I said, you know, if you want, you know, after I finish my work, we, you know, I can probably be done by like seven ish or something yeah. like that. You know, maybe even a little bit earlier, just depending, you know, we can go grab something. I don't know. Okay. All right. Grumpy puss. All right. <laughs> Try to be the nice guy here. You know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, good to hear that Brent is uh, in on Campanos out there in Monterey, California. Great place to go. If, you, if you're ever in Monterey and I recommend going to Monterey, Campanos is, in, in fact, my sister, you know, was a basketball coach at Cal State East Bay on the Oakland side of the Bay for a few years. And they played, I think it's Cal State Monterey. They would play against them. Ah. And she asked, you know, for recommendations. And they started going to uh, Campanos every time they rolled through town. And they all, I guess the team all loved it too. So How could they not. Can't go wrong. Can't How could they wrong. not? All right. Well, you know, like I said, Notre Dame going north to Syracuse, it's like, other than Michigan and Michigan State, you don't, I hadn't really thought about it, but they don't go north that often, especially this time of year. No, you know? that's actually a really good point. And uh, it is north going to Syracuse. I mean, they're going to yeah. be indoors, obviously. So that kind of right. cuts down on it a little bit. And I, I I guess, you know, shame on me for not looking at the temperature up in Syracuse, but it's pretty nice here in South Bend. I mean, we're talking 40 degrees and sunny, not a cloud in the sky. Yep. So, I mean, it's going to be a pretty nice Saturday. I think it's a high of like 65. I mean, you can't really ask for much more at the end of October. And I would assume that it's going to be similar up in Syracuse. I almost wish they just, they obviously can't do it, but open the dome, let it be kind of an outside feeling. That would be cool. Like, I wonder if, if like, I should have asked Brian Higgins, the Syracuse guy that I had on this week, if they've ever thought about like rebuilding that place and maybe, yeah. you know, doing something like that. Have you, have you been to the dome before? I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried Trade Coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month 
to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection. The rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee. The full flavor of the black velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I have a couple times for basketball okay. games. In fact, last year, that's where uh, they opened up ACC play in okay. November last year. So it was still pretty modern. I've been there like in January and February where there's three feet of snow on the ground. But, Jeez. you know, so it was nice to get in and out of there last year, you know, when there wasn't any snow on the ground. But it's – I've heard it's very um, non – like just – it's just kind of there. It's not really anything to look at yeah. per se. That's that exactly right? right. Not much yeah. to look at kind of, you know, there's, there's other stuff around it, but you know, no, no special attractions or anything. And it's, yeah. and it's just, I imagine for the men's games, there's probably a little bit different atmosphere, but you know, it's, it's basically you're in one end zone where they set up the basketball okay. court and they put up some, you know, like a big grandstand on the other side. Yeah. To, you know, where the foot, you know, leading into the football field. Sure. Basically. So, you know, it's very different for basketball. It's yeah. kind of like, Final Four type stuff, though. Sure, guess, you know when you what? think about it, domes, domes are weird to me. Like, <laughs> I went up to and I watched a Blue Jays game uh, one spring break, and you know they they play in a dome uh, stadium right. up there. Number one, baseball indoors was weird. Like that was really <laughs> strange. Just felt like I don't know. It just felt like you were in somebody's living room. I, I don't know. It was just a weird feeling, and I I would have to think that you know, a football game would be very similar in a dome stadium that doesn't open or anything like that. It's just, just a weird sensation. It's funny because I like 
when the Cowboys come to this area and like they play at Indianapolis, they, you know, they did there a couple of years ago, they played in Detroit, both dome stadiums. So I've been to both of them, been to soldier field. And I'll say like between, you know, like soldier field is the worst of the three, you know, yeah, like right. whether it's outdoor or not, just, you know, because they're newer stadiums and all that stuff. I really don't think you notice it that much and you're pretty comfortable. You don't have to worry about freezing your butt off or, you know, like September being too hot and that kind of stuff. Maybe it's just baseball for me that just does not belong indoors. Maybe that's what it is. Have you been to Milwaukee? Have you seen the Cubs play in Milwaukee before? I have not. And that would be a completely different feeling, I would imagine, than the one up in Toronto. You should do that. It's yeah. we've been there a couple times. We've taken the kids up there to some games a couple times. Yeah, good place. Well, and obviously, I've been to Indianapolis for for the Colts. That doesn't feel like you're indoors. I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. I don't know. Yeah. I'm weird. We better talk some football because I guess we got all these people sitting here and they're you know they're on the edge of their seats and we're talking about Dome Stadium. They're on their edge of their so, seats about Syracuse. Yes. Tell me this: coming off a win over UNLV yeah. last week, biggest thing you learned is what? That I learned nothing like that. <laughs> that That's the biggest thing that I learned is that nothing has changed. And I think that's a huge problem. So yeah, I've learned, I've learned nothing about this team from the past two weeks. They, it was the same game plan. They executed it better than they did the week before because they were playing a more inferior opponent in UNLV. And even though they were banging their head against the wall and running between the tackles again, the offensive line was able to get a ton of movement because it's UNLV. And that was part of the, I mean, that was why there was so much angst in the post game show and in shows following the game all week long. Pe- people were just, people were upset. And it's, yes. it's hard for a team that we have been following this year, a four and three football team to win with the margin that they won by 44 to 21, right? 44 to 21 that, that you would think just looking at the game. Okay. Notre Dame scored 44 points. This is a good thing. Notre Dame should have scored like 65 points based on how many times they got the ball in plus territory, how many times that they had to settle for a field goal. I mean, they're, they're not good in the red zone on either side of the ball. That was evident in this game and evident in every, that could be big today. That could be huge today. And where I know we're going to talk about it. This team is not a good red zone team on either side of the ball. That's a major problem for me. And the offensive game plan seems just as stuck in the mud as it has for the past four games. And that's a huge problem for me. Yeah. And then you throw on top of that little cherry on top. And I'm not saying that this is the major part of the problem, but part of the problem is Drew Pine is just, he has regressed and he has not started to climb back up the mountain yet. And that worries me that maybe he's going to be stuck down here for a while. And maybe that doesn't hurt them against Syracuse. Maybe it does, but it's definitely going to hurt them next week against Clemson. He's got to be the best Drew Pine possible against Clemson. Yeah, and that's like, he doesn't, and we'll talk more specifically about Pine and some other stuff in in a little bit, but he doesn't have to be 74% Drew Pine, but he can't be 48% Drew Pine. Exactly. He's got to be somewhere in the middle. Like Absolutely. even closer to 65% is fine as long as the running game is going and and you're more diverse offensively. Because that's the biggest thing I learned is basically piggybacking on what you said is just that this is a vastly inconsistent football team on both sides of the ball. Like you talked about all the times they started in plus territory and couldn't finish enough drives. You miss a field goal right. once, you settled for a field goal. You you know you do end up with a touchdown 
once, but when you start off with the 14, you've got to get that thing in at the end zone. There's Absolutely. Just, oh, you can't I, take a gift. But at the same time, and again, we'll talk about this more specific. Well, I'll just save. I'll just save that. <laughs> well, how about I, speaking of? Go ahead. You finish the thought, and then then we'll, we'll talk about Isaiah Foskey. Well, I wanted to build on your thought about Drew Pine real quick, and you you said that you asked me last week. You know, you you gave some stats about his first two games, and then some stats about his last game, and you're like, who is the real Drew Pine? You know, right. will the real Drew Pine please stand please up? Stand up. <laughs> yeah, and you're 100 percent right. It's someplace in the middle but he can't be down in this valley continuously. He's yes. got to find that middle ground. I'm not expecting him to be the guy from a stat standpoint that he was the first game and a half to two games. That's that's unrealistic to, that he would be able to continue doing that. But he has to be someplace in the middle. But you have to find that common ground. Two things. There are about a half dozen throws in each of the last two games that if he hits, yes, the complexion looks a lot different. Absolutely. We're, we're talking about some different things right now whether it's a touchdown or you know keeping a drive alive converting a third down whatever it happens to be so there you know there is some of it on him but the play calling is still an issue as well the play calling the personnel packages and we've got a, yep. a specific segment devoted to that where we'll break more of that down coming up here in a few minutes as well and Charlie Weiss's last belt loop says Notre Dame would be undefeated with Jack Cohn as quarterback. Well, I don't know about undefeated, but at least five and one, or what is it? Six, six and, one. and one. Absolutely six and one. I mean, I, you know, they probably have a better shot against Ohio State. Yeah, because I think they might finish off a couple of those drives. Right. If I'm being honest, against Ohio State. And you can complain about the safety blitz, you know, that that uh, gave up a touchdown against Ohio State, right? You can complain about that. And that's legit. But if you got a touchdown and a half lead at that point, then or you know two touchdown lead at that point, which was absolutely plausible with the way that Notre Dame was playing or could have played by punching it into the end zone, then that play doesn't mean as much anymore, right? So it's absolutely possible. There there is a universe out there with Jack Cohn at quarterback that Notre Dame is undefeated right now. I absolutely agree with that. Brent, my policy is, I'll just put this on the screen, but my policy is I don't comment on what guys from other outlets say. So, yeah. like, national outlets is one thing, but I'm not going to comment on... A direct... Yes. A, a direct competitor? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know if you, you know, if that's your policy, Vince, but that's my policy. No, that's uh, that's the boss's policy as well. Okay. So, we'll stick okay. with that. All right. Well, see... The boss never even told me that policy, but that was my <laughs> internal policy. So it just shows we're on the right we're on the right path. I agree street. with you completely. <laughs> well, how about Isaiah Foskey though? Three sacks, blocked a couple of punts, at, you know, quarterback hurry, did a little bit of everything. Three tackles for loss, a one man wrecking crew against UNLV. What'd you think about seeing him finally have that breakout game this season? That's the word, right? Finally, I mean, the, the, he is supposed to be your stud. He's supposed to be your star not only on the defensive line, but on the defense period, right? And I think that he finally came out and did what a star is supposed to do. He took advantage of the fact that he was playing a JV right tackle and just beat the snot out of the guy the whole time. And then for whatever reason, UNLV, excuse me, UNLV decided not to block, you know, Isaiah Foskey on two consecutive punts. I mean, is it's only I mean, number seven, you know, the I, biggest, most athletic guy on the field. I, I I don't get it. I mean, both number sevens are guys that you can't really miss from a physical standpoint, and they just decided not to block them. And I, I guess you do that to your own uh, your own dismay and your own turmoil. 
But that's what UNLV decided to do. He got two block punts for the first time ever in Notre Dame history, which I think is pretty friggin' cool. So congratulations to him. He needs to now bring that over the next five games if Notre Dame is going to be successful. He was like Kramer in that Seinfeld episode when he was like in the karate class and it's all nine-year-olds. It's all a bunch of little kids. Here's Kramer. He's, he's like tossing nine-year-olds around. You know? <laughs> that's what that's what Isaiah Foskey was like last week. And that's – I mean, he's – that's the thing. It's like, it's great to see. I think we've always thought that he's got that in him, but he's got to step up now against, yes. you know, power five legit competition, specifically in a game like this, whatever opportunities have, like if Syracuse schemes around Isaiah Foskey, I don't know, but you've got a mobile quarterback. You've got to be able to get to that mobile quarterback and, and take away that aspect of Syracuse's game. They really need him in a game like this. They really need him, you know, against Clemson, Next week against USC down the road, you know, that's that's if you're that true first round right type talent, you've got to step up in the games that matter. Absolutely. And there's games now that matter pretty much for the rest of the way, if we're being honest. I mean, you could say Navy doesn't matter. You could even maybe throw Boston College into there. But the way the season has gone, every game matters at this point. And he's going to need to show up every single game in order for this team to be competitive against some pretty decent offenses moving forward. You know, USC's got a pretty good offense. Say what you want to about DJ Uyunglele, but they still have dudes on that Clemson offense, and they can score points when they need to. And, you know, maybe he's not the quarterback. We can get into that all next week. But there's offenses that can play. You know, Jakovic will take advantage of your defense. He can, right? Now, he he might as well not even play the five guys in front of him, and he probably still has the same opportunity. But... You know, That's you're going to have a struggle for them up there. But I mean, he's got the talent, especially with him right. coming back and the whole thing. You right. know, it sets it up where he's got an opportunity. He's got an opportunity yeah. coming into Notre Dame Stadium. No doubt. No doubt. So bottom line, Isaiah Foskey needs to bring it and he needs to raise the game of the guys around him as well. That's what stars do. That's what captains do. He is both of those things and he needs to do that. The two blocks in a single game is a Notre Dame record for a player. Of course, Prince Kali partially blocked the other one it's I'm, I'm disappointed they don't like unless i missed it on the stat sheet they don't actually show block kicks right like I, really? they, they need that needs to show up on the stat sheet I'll, I'll i'll dig deeper into the stats on the special team side you know it's i don't think there's anything there but i mean let's be honest we haven't seen that much to to note in the last few years along those <laughs> lines right Fair. But, you know, uh, did w- get one a couple of years ago. I believe Jordan Botello <laughs> got one as well. Yeah. But four block punts, single season program record. It is amazing. And yes, it is amazing. And I love what the special teams are doing. No doubt yeah. about that. Yeah. We'll save our thoughts on Brian Mason. We've got something on him coming up in rapid fire later because today is going to be a little bit more abbreviated show because of that noon kickoff. Because again, you know, when we finish the live show, there's audio to post. We've got to get the podcast posted <laughs> as well. But work is um, never done. Some some super chats coming in. David says he's a little concerned without Washington. The defensive line seems to be underplaying their talent and the recruiting. It's concerning. Am I off base? Well, the recruiting, the only reason the recruiting is concerning is because they lost Keon Keeley. I mean, if you still had Keon Keeley in the fold. Nobody would be saying that. So I I will push back on that a little bit. And when he decommitted, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place because he was in your class for, what, over a year? And then he decommits. And so you're 
I mean, you're kind of screwed at that point. So yeah. I, they've got other guys on the on the defensive line. So I'm not overly worried about recruiting. As far as them underplaying their talent, I mean, Notre Dame is ranked 27th in the country in sacks. I mean, they're they're getting to the quarterback. They they are sacking the quarterback. Have there been issues? Yeah, but there's been issues on all three levels of the defense. So I, I'm not concerned per se. I'd love a strip sack here and there, you know, force the ball out, things like that. I'm not overly concerned. I mean, he's a different style of coach than the last one that they had. And so there's going to be a bit of a learning curve and things of that nature. But we're going to see how good Al Washington is next year when he's basically rebuilding yeah. the entire defensive yeah, line exactly. from a starter standpoint. So yeah. I'm going to reserve judgment on Al Washington to a degree because if the defensive line picks up where they left off this year, then he's doing a fantastic job. I think the biggest thing to me is still it's inconsistent. You know, like the fact that it it took a UNLV opponent for Isaiah Foskey to have the kind of game that he has, that he hasn't been more impactful, even if it's, you know, like one sack a game or just getting more pressures per game. There's especially early in the season, there was too much of the running past the quarterback, not, you know, getting to the quarterback and impacting the quarterback more. And that's, you know, like I'm trying to see where that comment went here it is charlie weiss's last belt with a super chip uh he said it might be a long day today the defense makes non-running quarterbacks look like michael vick mobile quarterback might slaughter our defense this is a game they need to change the narrative i mean but, you're right hey, about the last part with the narrative but go right. ahead but that's the thing it is it's a narrative because mobile right. quarterbacks aren't doing that to notre dame it's the right. non-mobile quarterbacks that are doing that to notre dame drake may had one good series the right. opening series for north carolina and then after that they shut him down the rest of the day you know right. he is a true mobile quarterback and you know this guy being the same so i am curious to see what the game yeah. plan looks like and you know you can't be too passive against him by sitting back but i think that you know, rather than just straight pressure off the edge, you know, like twists and stunts and things like that, getting guys, confusing the offensive line and getting guys loose that way with more pressure up the middle would probably go a long way against a guy like him. Right. Still got to contain outside, but I think absolutely. The middle, and know? I think they've done a better job of containing from the pocket, right? And, you know, we'll see what this mobile quarterback does against Notre Dame. I just feel like it's a narrative right now that uh, that any quarterback is going to be able to run on Notre Dame. They, they've allowed non-mobile quarterbacks that they don't game plan against from a run standpoint yeah. hurt them. It's not guys that can run. So, I mean, let's see what happens. The, the proof is in the pudding, right? We'll find out in about an hour and a half. I agree. How about Logan Diggs? Career highs, 28 carries, 130 yards against the Rebels. Do you think he's the lead back now? I, I'm not ready to go there yet because – the last three games, they've had three different starting running backs, and they've fed the ball consistently to three different running backs in yeah. each one of those games. <laughs> so yeah, they have. maybe this was just his turn, uh, you know, in the rotation. I don't know. And obviously, they're a little PO'd at, at Audric Estime right now because he can't hold on to the football. I get that. But they're not going to turn their back on Chris Tyree. Now they need to find a better way to use Chris Tyree. I think we can absolutely talk about that. I think Logan did Logan Diggs is a bit of both worlds. He's kind of the best of both worlds if you're taking yeah. what all three of these guys do. Tyree is better on the edge than Logan Diggs is, but Logan Diggs is really good on the edge. Audrey Asme is better between the tackles than Logan Diggs, but Logan Diggs is really good between the tackles, right? So he kind of gives both sides when he's in the game. 
I, I still want to see two backs, obviously. I still, you know, if Logan Diggs sure. starts today and gets 20 carries, then he's the lead back and we can just put that conversation behind us. But at this point, I don't know. I It, it honestly feels like they flip a coin before the game and they decide who's going to be the starter. Yeah, I know. It's, you know, like last week was dictated by the fact that Estime fumbled again, so he didn't see the field with the exception of victory formation, you know, after the fumble. So that led to more Logan Diggs because like some of those carries, if not all of those carries on the, the last couple of drives would have gone to Audric Estime had he been in the game. True. But Logan Diggs obviously did just fine. And I asked him afterwards if that, you know, the shoulder early on, if that bugged him and, you know, if it inhibited him and he's doing better. He said it really didn't, but it sure looked like when you look at how he's playing now versus yeah. how he was the first couple of games where he seemed afraid to kind of stick that in there on some of those blitz pickups and that kind of stuff. It looks like he's feeling a lot more aggressive, feeling a lot better with that now because he looks like a different guy. Continue to be impressed with his blitz pickup now, like where, again, where he was whiffing some yeah. early in the season, the blitz pickup, yep. and obviously the physical running between the tackles. And I mean, let's just call it what it is. You've got to be willing to run between the tackles based on the offense we've seen these last couple of games. And he's doing that. Yeah, he is. And I, you know, a lot of that, in my opinion, goes to the offensive line because they were pushing UNLV three yards up the field on almost every run play. And Logan Diggs wasn't even getting touched until he got to the offensive line. And, you know, at that point, he's already gained three, four yards. You know what I mean? And so he definitely benefited from the way the offensive line played last week. And so another great opportunity here for Notre Dame's offense to run the football. That yeah. is what I will say about this game. I think so, too. I think yeah. so, too. And again, we'll get to that in a little bit and some specifics that we're going to get more into regarding Drew Pine and the running backs and the two backs and all that stuff. But yeah. I wanted to touch on the defense first, Vince. Um, they held UNLV 0 for 12 on third down, forced nine punts, all of them three and out drives, which is amazing when you sit there and think about it. Like it's not just that you're holding them to nine punts and getting them off the field. They were all three and out to, uh, you know, it, and that's it was either almost either what a, a touchdown drive or a three and out drive that they were forcing. When you sent me the notes and I read through those stats, right? I was like, dang, didn't feel like the defense played that well. And I but triple checked it to make sure. I'm like, am I seeing this? I went through the play by play. You don't know how many times I'm like, one, two, three. You know? <laughs> I mean, but when you read those stats, does it feel like that's what happened? You know no. what I mean? Like, it just no. doesn't. <laughs> I, it, it is mind boggling that those are the stats from that game, and yet they still scored 21 points. Right. right? I mean, it is, it's mind boggling because. It just feels like out of nowhere they allow the opposition to go 80 yards and score a touchdown. And it's because, you know, they hold UNLV to 153 passing yards, which is like, wow, 143 rushing yards, which isn't bad. But no. here's the problem. Courtney Reese, the running back, had runs of 74 and 47 yards <laughs> on 11 carries. So he ends up with 142 yards. Most of it comes on those two carries, but they both set up touchdowns as well. Yes. Again, once you get in the red zone, it is almost automatic against this team, unfortunately. And that's the problem. Therein lies the issue. I am I would rather give up more yards between the 20s, and then you stiffen up when you're in the red zone, hold them to right. field goals, you know, maybe get a turnover here and there, you know, things like that. And that's kind of the Notre Dame defenses that we've seen over the last 10 years, really, is 
kind of that bend but don't break. Like they give up yards in the middle of the field and then they just kind of stiffen up in the red zone. That has not been the case with this defense. If you, if the opposition gets into the red zone, you might as well strike up the band at this point because they're yeah. going to score a touchdown. And we're not even talking field goals. We're talking touchdowns. And that is going to be the difference in maybe more than one game moving down the stretch if they don't fix that problem. They have to be able to hold teams to field goals or get turnovers or, you know, stop them on fourth down, whatever the case may be. This defense has to do that in the red zone. Otherwise, they're not going to be a good defense. Numbers numbers are one thing. Results are another. So Marcus Freeman said after the game, like on that 74-yard run specifically, and maybe on the 47-yarder as well, that, that UNLV pulled the center on those plays and that they hadn't shown that on film. Like they hadn't pulled the center in those situations, and that's what sprung them. I told that to a coach the other day, and he kind of rolled his eyes. So what do you think? Coach it's an excuse. I mean, that, that that's an excuse. Okay, one time, maybe, but you're telling me that pulling a center is the difference between a three-yard gain and a 75-yard gain? Come on now. Like, watching those plays back, Notre Dame just took on blocks. They didn't try to block destruct. They didn't try to fill any gaps. That annoys me. It annoys I, I, me to I no end when you see that. And I, I don't, don't care who Why are you're you pulling. So passive? Why are you so passive? Like, and that's right. what—that's what I've seen too many times. The linebackers—it's just like they're just like it's like it's like a magnet, like they're yes. attracted to to a blocker. And you know, again, it's been a while since I played, and, and it was a, a different level. But like my first instinct—if I saw someone like that out in space coming to them—my instinct was get the heck out of my way. I'm going to shove them aside and go find the ball. Still. Yes, you know, At I don't understand least. why they're so willing to engage blockers the way they do. At the very least, get leverage and force the running back inside to where you have friends and helpers. You right. know what I mean? Don't just take on the block. I, I just th – that was a really good description, a magnet to blockers, because that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It would be a 300-pound tackle in space, and the linebacker would be like, whoop, got to be right here. I got to take him on. I got to right. stand him up. Like, no, that is not what you're supposed to do. Super frustrating. Not okay. I don't care who you're pulling. Generally, I shouldn't say generally. Linebackers have keys, right? Sometimes it's guards. Sometimes it's just the interior line, whatever. You go the way things pull, you know, whatever. You've got to be able to read your keys. You have keys. You've got to be able to read them. It doesn't matter who's pulling. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. I'm right. sorry. That is a gigantor excuse for failure. Yeah. It's, you know, just like the option, you know, there was just a huge alley over there that was created and, and all he had to do was run through it to daylight and yeah. Ugly. I mean, I guess ugly. I get, you know, like lone bright side. Okay. They ran him down. Didn't score on those plays, but still they got inside the red zone and ultimately yeah. ended up scoring. And that's, that's, that's something that's got to get better over the course of the season Absolutely. is, is you got to bow your, you, you got to bow your back up a little bit when they get in the red zone and, and, yep. uh, you know, have some pride and, and at least hold them to a field goal rather right. than, rather than a touchdown. And so. that is not happening. And that is problematic moving yep. forward. Okay. So we've been teasing and promising the Drew Pine conversation and, you know, we've had some Drew Pine, you know, chitter chatter and you know, chiming in here in the chat. Understandably, I know he was 14 of 28. 
205 yards, two touchdowns, one interception last week. For the season now, he's 93 of 146 for over 1,000 yards, 1,077, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions. His completion percentage, though, has fallen from 72% right after the BYU game to 63% since the Stanford and UNLV games. It has dropped considerably. More balls on the ground and not into the hands and arms of Michael Mayer, wide receivers, or anyone else. So I kind of broke down how his last two games compared to his first two games with some personnel package stuff mixed in there. So Stanford UNLV, 49% for a combined 356 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. The running backs in the Stanford and UNLV game totaled five targets and two catches for 15 yards. So five total targets in the last two games. Michael Mayer, 11 catches for 175 yards. Because, of course, he's Michael Mayer. And, you know, that's where Drew Pine wants to go. Right. So and he's, he's going to get his, and that's fine that's right. to a degree. Right. Yes. Best player. Right. You do want to get your best player the ball. Wide receivers in those last two games combined, 14 catches, 166 yards. So that's an average of seven receptions for 66 yards per game against Stanford and UNLV. A total of just two, a total of just three, rather, two-back sets against Stanford, one two-back set against UNLV. And of course, like I had someone ask the other day, is 21 personnel the same as two-back set? It is. It, It just means two running backs, one tight end when you say 21. Now, you know, there can be an extra tight end and then you have 22. They don't do 22 a lot. It's still more or less one-off, but they do it every once in a while. So that's why I've just kind of kept it to two back sets, whether it's 21 or 22. Okay, so that's the numbers for the last two games, Stanford and UNLV, when the offense has been very erratic and Drew Pine, again, completing 49% of his passes overall. Very limited 21 personnel, two back set type stuff. Go back the three games against Cal, North Carolina, and BYU when he was completing 74% of his passes, averaged 233 yards per game, eight touchdowns, just one interception. And that, of course, was on the deflected pass at the line of scrimmage. The running backs in those three games, Cal, Carolina, BYU, 17 receptions for 188 yards. So not just more targets. Mm-hmm. Five total targets for the running backs against Stanford and UNLV, 17 catches for 188 yards in the three games, Cal Carolina and BYU. In the meantime, Michael Mayer, 20 catches for 216 yards. And that's with just two catches for 10 yards against Cal. The wide receivers averaged in those three games, eight receptions for 95.6 yards. So like when the running backs are involved more in the passing game, it essentially opens everything else up, not just for them, but for Michael Mayer, for the wide receivers. You saw the receptions were almost the same for the wide receivers in those two averages, but the yards per catch and the total yards, they averaged 30 yards more per game when the running backs are involved. So what do you think of all this, Vince? I think, number one, you stole all this from your son. But that's okay. <laughs> that, that is not true. That I'm is not joking. True. The, I'm kidding. The personnel with you. packages. The personnel packages. He helped. <laughs> I, I went out and dug up all the numbers. All right. All right. Oh, you are the you, 
You are the original numbers guy. Yes. Just I, I don't do want to get I don't like to get too numbers heavy, but I think it is worth the comparison yes. right here when we look at how inconsistent Drew Pine and the offense have been. I think the the numbers that stand out to me the most and everything that you just went through, obviously the completion percentage is is one of the numbers that stood out. 49 to 74. I mean, that's massive. Okay. That's number one. Number two, I would say the numbers that stand out are the running back catches. And it's not just because you put it in red. Okay. It is. <laughs> I mean, that's massive. 17 versus five. Yes. I, I'm sorry. 17 versus two. Right. Five 188 yards versus 15. Why are you not getting these guys involved? Because if you do, that just gives the defense one more thing that they have to pay attention to, which is why the wide receivers had more love at that point because they're going to be open more, okay? And look, Mayer is going to get his catches. He's going to get his yards. We can want Drew Pine to go away from Mayer all we want, but the bottom line is he's the best tight end in the country. He's going to go to Michael Mayer, and I'm fine with that. But you need to get other guys involved as well. The running backs, the wide receivers have to also be involved. If he goes 20 catches in three games for 216 yards, that's fine. I'm okay with that because that's about seven catches a game. Okay, that's about where he should be, in my opinion. The running backs and the wide receivers need to be more involved. They were in those three games. They're not in the other two. That's the biggest problem I see. And it comes down to levels in the passing it doesn't all come down to it but if the running backs are involved then you have three levels that have to be defended if you're an opposing defense you've got the shorter game with the running backs you know like down to the flats and you know the wheel routes and that kind of stuff you've got the intermediate with an all-american like michael mayer and then you've got the deeper stuff obviously right. with the receivers and that doesn't mean everything is going to be a deep pass to right. the receivers it's just it makes them have to defend the whole field. And if you're going to right. going to take away the running backs, and the other part of this is if you're going to have 21 personnel on the field versus 12, which is what they've gone to a lot, or even 11. So let me, let me put it to you this way. When it's 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, that means you've got an extra receiver on the field. Correct. Well, what's the least productive aspect, skill position on the field? The wide receiver. So having right. an extra wide receiver on the field is not helping you. No. Having 12 personnel with an extra tight end, you're less athletic than if you have Tyree out there with either Diggs or Estimate. Those are three of the best athletes along with Mayer and along with Tobias Merriweather. Those are three of the best athletes you have on your offense. So having one more of them on the field puts the, puts the defense in another bind that they have to try to defend because you've got them out there. I will also say, how did Stanford move the ball against Notre Dame? Screens, you know, bubble shovel screens, passes. you know, shovel passes. You know, they were getting their guys involved with very low, uh, or excuse me, very high percentage throws from the quarterback, right. right? That's what Drew Pine needs. He needs high percentage throws to get him going. Why are we not seeing more wide receiver screens? Why are we not seeing the shovel passes. Why are we not seeing getting guys in space on the outside? I mean, you said it yourself. I'd much rather see a wide receiver screen or a look pass or, you know, a now pass, right? A now route to Tobias Merriweather or Lorenzo Styles or Braden Lindsay or any of those guys out in space. Heck, put 
you know, uh, uh, Tyree in the slot and have him do it. Right. Right. There, there are a million things you can do to get the ball to the outside, to get it in space, and to get Drew Pine's completion percentage where it needs to be and get him rolling from a mental standpoint. Well, and that's the other thing. What did we? What did we openly, what did everyone openly complain about after the first two games against Ohio State and Marshall? Where's Chris Tyree? So all of a sudden, here comes Chris Tyree in game three against Cal, has over 100 yards from scrimmage, and he's a major factor for the next two games. But we've seen basically since Carolina diminishing Chris Tyree and a, a continually more inconsistent offense in the meantime. Does it all swing on Chris Tyree? No, but. He is still one of their best players. Yep. You've got to find a way to keep him involved more in the game, and a lot of that has to do with two-back sets out there because the other thing that Jesse and I did talk about this week, and one thing that he noticed noted specifically with Syracuse's linebackers, is when you've got those, and we've seen this, you know, when you've got the two-back sets, you know, the, the, the two guys in the backfield, when they start motioning guys or play action to one of the running backs, you're moving opposing defenders around when you do that, whether it's bringing a safety out of the middle of the field or a linebacker moving. And one thing that Jesse noted watching this Syracuse defense is the linebackers get easily distracted, was what he said. It's, no, once you start either. motioning, once you start motioning guys, their linebackers get easily distracted. And you are really going to distract them when you have, again, an athlete like Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs on the field at the same time, and then you're motioning one of them and moving them around. You're, you're confusing them with what, yeah. what what it is they need to do. And there's a lot of guys that you can do use to do that, right? And that's that's what formations and motions are all about. It's eye candy. You're trying to confuse the eyes of the defense, right? Michael Mayer is obviously going to be a focus of any defense that Notre Dame plays against. Move them around, you know, Put them attached, then put them in the slot, put them outside, motion them around, move 87 around and get these linebackers really worried about where 87 is. At the same time, you can move, get two backs in there and you can move those guys around and you're going to have all kinds of success, frankly. And I will say going into the season, I was very enthusiastic about Tommy Reese and what he would be able to do from an eye candy standpoint. Right from form, you know, he's going to formation the crap out of you. He's going to motion the crap out of you. He's yeah. going to do all of these different things. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that because of what Jesse saw. And I can guarantee you, if Jesse saw it, no offense to Jesse, but so <laughs> did the offensive analysts and the offensive staff. I would hope well, that they saw that too. One would hope, Vince, but one you know, hope. we've talked a lot about it stuff I on know. this show that it doesn't seem like is is registering with well, some people. I agree. Like there, you yeah. know, there are guys get. Guys over there getting paid a hell of a lot more than than any of us. <laughs> yeah, right. To see this stuff. They're smart guys. You know, I, I rely on Jess because one, you know, he's a pretty smart guy too. He's he's an engineer with a math degree, so he's like Not a wrong. very analytical mind and who's who's played, you know, linebacker and stuff like that. So I just, you know, I, I agree. Like those guys, they're supposed to be able to see that, but right. why is it why is it disappeared for the last two games? And in the meantime, Drew Pine's consistency has gone down the offense's consistency yeah. 
has gone down. It's it's very baffling what we've seen the last couple games. Well, and I'll say this. I, I will say that it is very obvious that the staff watches our shows because <laughs> that's when they got Tyree involved. Because they always respond, right? After they we res- complain about it, they respond. They got Tyree involved when we asked for it, and they're like, okay, we appeased the IB guys. Now we're not going to throw to him anymore. We're not going to get him involved anymore. So we're going to call for it again. So as you guys are preparing for the game here that's going to start in an hour and 15 minutes, I'm sure that they've got us, you know, in their earbuds as they're walking around pregame. Get Tyree involved. (laughs) See, now you stole that from me. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) David saying using Sun Tzu for Irish football. I I think that's how you say the TZU. The opportunity of defeating the enemy is provided by the enemy itself. Yeah. So if everyone is keen on Michael Mayer, use that. Why don't why don't why doesn't Notre Dame use that? That is what's frustrating. I, and that's I that's agree. the part that's the part that's on Drew Pine, though. That's where Drew Pine has to step up and recognize that right. and not try to force the ball into double coverage, bracket coverage, triple coverage, whatever it happens to be. If he's open, throw it to him. Or if it looks like he's coming open, throw it to him. But if he's double covered, then you've got to scan the field and find the guy that's open because there's going to be somebody that's open. But again, to me, that's why the two running back stuff would go a long way because yes. it gives you an easy layup. You can make one of those guys is going to be one-on-one or, or wide open. Absolutely. And I, I'm sorry, but I like all three of our running backs, all three of Notre Dame's running backs against any linebacker in the country. I'm sorry. That's a mismatch. That is something that Notre Dame can exploit, period. I agree. I agree. We just got an email, by the way, from Ooh. Notre Dame Fighting Irish oh, Media. Yeah. I saw that. There is not going to be a live Zoom on the post-game press conference. They're going to post the audio as soon as possible, I guess because of the way the, the locker room is set up. So we're not going to be able to, to have some of the post-game comments from Marcus Freeman and all that so, kind of stuff as quickly as we usually do. So apparently the post-game media room is in 1975. And, I guess. Uh, they don't have Wi-Fi. I, I don't – that just doesn't make – and I can't blame Notre Dame for this because they are on the road and this is a Syracuse problem. But you're telling me in 2022 that you don't have Wi-Fi in the media room? Like, what is happening? What is happening? Yeah. I Got to give a shout-out. To D, D, hey, uh, D-Y, D-Lally, D-Lally, I don't know. I'm sorry I butchered your name, but you're getting married today, man. So congratulations. We will throw up some prayers for you, and you better have the – I mean, I don't know what time the wedding is. Maybe this is a good thing that the wedding – or that the game is at noon, so you can actually watch some of it because most weddings are like in the middle of the afternoon. So hopefully you get to watch Notre Dame. Yeah. So congratulations. Absolutely. Congratulations. I'm I'm, I'm a little bit. I mean, one, it's awesome that you're getting married today and you're jumping in here with us before the wedding. So thanks for being here. Maybe you're you're just just hanging out, getting the tux ready to go right now or whatever. I remember being really bored prior to the wedding. It was a lot of sitting around, just saying. I know. And it's like, you know, not that I was like nervous beforehand, but it's just like, you just there, there's just way too much, and you rely yeah. on your groomsmen to you know to to chat you up a little bit and keep you distracted on things. Which you know, we, like we it would have been, yeah, would have been nice to have you know a little little something something there, you know, in the <laughs> in the room. But 
Uh, yeah, congratulations, yeah. though. Congrats, man. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Um. So where are we right now? I'm trying to see, like, how much where, – where are we? Okay, so we're – Injuries. Yes. Thank you. Thank You're you for, 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 for the redirect. So just a couple injury notes. Jack Kaiser missed last week's game. So did Jaden Mickey. They're both supposed to be back. Kaiser had a leg contusion. Mickey had a strained abdominal muscle, so they didn't play. Marcus Freeman says they're both supposed to be back. Brandon Joseph also had a leg contusion. He returned punts, didn't play safety, said that because of whatever was bothering his leg, he wasn't able to make the cuts and stuff like that the way he would like it. I mean, you know, let's be honest. It's UNLV. You should be able to get by UNLV without Brandon Joseph out there, but he's also expected back today. So pretty much, you know, obviously with the exception of the guys who were out for the season, Right, they are at full strength with what they've got right now. It sounds like unless Which something new came up this week. Yeah, I, can I? A little bit of an aside. I, I love the leg contusion. It's a bruise. <laughs> you got you had a bruise. You just and, say a leg bruise, right? That's right. Like why do we got to be all fancy about it? It's a bruise. All right, I get bruises. Contusion hurt. sounds more severe yes, than a does. bruise, I guess. Right? Yes, yes, it does. But what what does that say about the rest of the punt return game? That even an injured Joseph has to be out there to return punts. I don't know. I know just right? throwing that out there. I wanted to make sure none of the super chats got by us. I think that we pretty much. I think we've been hitting them pretty much on point when they've come up because they've. Yeah, been, there's uh, Tyler's got one that I starred that we'll get to. I'll, okay. I'll, I've been kind of saving it here. Beautiful. For a little bit. But. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Notre Dame-Syracuse now, 11th meeting between these two teams. Notre Dame's won four straight. The last loss, you've got to go all the way back to 2008, a game that we were both at, 2008 at Notre Dame Stadium. Senior day, Syracuse won 24-23. to But uh, other than that, Notre Dame's won fairly lopsided games yeah. in the last four meetings. They played at home in 2020, Yankee Stadium prior to that in 2018 with the pinstripe pants and all that kind of stuff. That's Notre right. Dame won that game 36 to 3. That's already been four years. Wow. It seems amazing. It's crazy. <laughs> and those uniforms are still imprinted in my mind in a negative way. I know. I like the tops. I'm still not a fan of the pinstripe. No. Pants. And I and I will also say I love pinstripes on a baseball uniform. Yeah. Love them. They don't belong in football uniforms. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so Syracuse, Dino Babers. This is year seven. That's for crazy. him. 
And that 2018 team is his only winning record so far. They they finished 10 and 3 that year in a year that Notre Dame, you know, they were ranked and Notre Dame thumped them in that game en route to the college football playoff, but they've had three straight losing seasons since then and they come into this game 6 and 1 after losing to Clemson last week, but um it was the first time they had opened 6 and 0 since 1987. They also opened 3-0 in ACC play for the first time ever prior to that loss. So, you know, they, you know this is this has been a good year for them, a yeah. year that, quite frankly, Dino Babers, needed. I think, pretty much needed. Because, yes. you know, you can say, well, he's got job security and they like you and all that stuff. You finish with a losing record again in, you know, in year number seven with just yeah. one winning record, then they start talking about you a little bit. And they, yeah. you know, programs yeah. around the country have shown they're not afraid of eating buyouts. I don't know where Syracuse stands financially, but – other programs are eating those buyouts. Well, they got those naming rights on the Carrier Dome, so I'm sure they're doing okay. <laughs> but uh, right. no, I, <clears throat> I'm with you. I think the seat was pretty hot for Dino Babers going into the season, and he has at this point saved his job with a six and one start. And frankly, they should have won last week against Clemson if they didn't have a few brain farts there in the second half. And of course, the officials will. All, we can always blame them as well. Right. But you know, if they can pull off an upset over, I mean, no, I realize it's not an upset because they are favored. But I don't care. What you say, if you can beat Notre Dame, then, I mean, that can make or break your entire season, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, while the seat is definitely cooled off for Coach Babers, there's no doubt about that, 6-0 and looks different than 6-2. and Yep. And, you know, the rest of their schedule, obviously, to come. But if you can knock off Notre Dame, I mean, that that's a huge feather in your cap. Nobody's getting fired at Marshall, right? They beat Notre Dame. And the rest of their season has been absolute hot garbage. But they beat Notre Dame. I don't think anybody's getting fired over there. You know what I mean? I, I'm i not saying that the Stanford staff and, and Coach Shaw was on the hot seat because I don't think they care about football very much. Beating Notre Dame, that's a huge feather in your cap. You know what I mean? So same situation here. Notre Dame is the underdog. They're not ranked. Syracuse is. It's a home game for Syracuse. Everything is lining up perfectly for them. If they can knock off Notre Dame, that's going to be huge, huge, huge for Syracuse. No doubt about it. I concur. Syracuse offense averaging nearly 34 points a game, 179 rushing yards. I mean, that's supposed to be their strength. 179 yards is good. It's not great. 233 right. passing yards. But, I mean, it essentially comes down to the two-headed monster in the backfield, I guess. The running back, Sean Tucker, who has nearly 700 yards and six touchdowns. He also has 28 receptions and a couple of touchdowns. He's their second-leading receiver. He is... Sixth all-time in Syracuse history with 2,820 yards. He needs 114 yards to time with Larry Zonka for fourth all-time. That's a throwback name for you. little Larry Zonka action in there. No doubt. I mean, look, Syracuse, they're 44th in the country in rush offense. They're 70-something 70 in pass offense. I mean, they're fairly balanced, uh, which is what you want to be if you're an offense. You don't want to be one or the other, right? And being in the 40s, being in the 70s at Syracuse, you'll take that all day. And yeah. I mean, so this offense is going to cause Notre Dame some problems. There's, there's no doubt about that. They're, they're going to need to come out and play a good brand of Notre Dame defense in order to stay in this game. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm overly worried about the offense, but it's because they don't have like game breakers, right? They don't have any guys yeah. specifically that I'm afraid of, but they're a balanced offense. And so you've got to come in prepared for everything. The quarterback Garrett Schrader and how he compliments Tucker is really kind of what makes 
their offense go. 371 rushing yards. He's their second leading rusher. He's also completed 70% of his passes with 13 touchdowns and four interceptions. And really, it's how you deal not just with Tucker, but also with the complement of Schrader Sure. in terms of how you're going to deal with this offense today. Well, they've got to contain the quarterback. I mean, we talked about the the narrative of Notre Dame not being good against, uh, you know, uh, mobile quarterbacks. You cannot let him beat you. And if he's going to beat you, make him beat you from the pocket. Now, he's a 70% passer. He's got similar touchdown to interception ratio that Drew Pine does. And everybody wants to string Drew Pine up, you know, in the middle of the square. So I would say if you're Notre Dame's defense and what you're trying to take away, you have to take away the run game. You have to take away the quarterback's ability to use his legs. If you can do that and make them one-dimensional, make them have to throw the ball from the pocket, number one, I think Notre Dame's going to be able to get to the quarterback and get a few sacks. That's number one. Get them behind yeah. the sticks. Number two, what's the strength of your defense right now? I secondary. contend it's still the secondary. Yeah, I agree. Right? And so if I'm going to put a game plan on somebody, I'm going to put it on the secondary. Make these guys who, again, they don't have dudes – at the wide receiver position or at the tight end position. They've got some guys, but they don't have any dudes. I like Notre Dame secondary versus the skill guys for Syracuse. Make them one-dimensional, make them throw the ball, and I think that plays into Notre Dame's hands. Yeah, they've got a big target, Aronde Gadsden the second. He's six foot second. four, and you know he's got almost 600 receiving yards, 16 yards per catch, five touchdowns, and he's a little bit from a body standpoint, the way he played, you know, kind of that tweener. Is he a tight end? Is, is yeah. he a wide receiver? Which is what a lot of people said about Chase Claypool sure. as well. You know, he's a guy that Schrader can throw it up to and he can get it. I completely agree with everything you said in, in terms of Schrader. You've got to you've got to shut down the run. You've got to sell out, I think, against the, the run. You're confident that your guys can cover. And you've got to find ways, I think, to get pressure on Schrader again up the middle, can't run behind him, which they've done too many times. But as you've said before, the only mobile quarterback that Notre Dame is really – well, C.J. Stroud, I guess, and he didn't go off against no. him. Now, he doesn't run necessarily a ton, but he's a guy who can win with his legs. But so is Absolutely. Drake May of North Carolina, and neither one of those guys hurt him with their legs. So I think that they've had good game plans against this kind of quarterback. They'll, they'll do a lot of design quarterback runs, and I think that Notre Dame sets itself up well if they focus on shutting that down, confidence in their guys that they can cover on the back end. I am not a gigantic fan of a spy, per se, but you can you can angle your defense around and have somebody that has their eyes on the quarterback, right? And I honestly believe that that's a great job for Marist. It is a get him like <laughs> he has ball get him yeah like that's that's marist right that's i mean probably the perfect probably the perfect role for marist lee yes. just focus on the quarterback all and day you can you can bring him you know up the middle you can bring him off the edge you can do different things with him but at the bottom line is the quarterback is your responsibility i think that's a great and of course you want to mix it up you don't want that just to be his job all the time i mean yeah. you have to be a little bit smarter than that i'm talking Overall, I think that's a good job for Maris, and I think he can do a really good job doing that. I think he did a good job doing that against North Carolina. He was kind of that spy-ish guy on Drake May, if I remember correctly. So don't be surprised if that's kind of what they do with Maris, because, again, I think he needs to have kind of a one-track mind 
and allow him to use his athleticism. I'll take Marist versus any mobile quarterback at this point from an athletic standpoint. And at the very least, he slows him down and allows his buddies to get in there too. Syracuse offense, 14th in the nation in red zone scoring. They've scored on go. 28 of 30 red zone chances. Meantime, Notre Dame tied with Rutgers for dead last in the nation in red zone scoring defense. So that is completely a mass mismatch. Yes. McKee, keep them out of the red zone. Yep. No <laughs> doubt about it. It's simple, I think. <laughs> you, you need to create turnovers in the middle of the field. You need to get three and outs. You need to make them punt. You need to play the field position game. You cannot get them into the red zone. Number one, like you said, Syracuse is really good in the red zone. They're really good offensively in the red zone, and Notre Dame isn't. I think the last, what was the stat, nine trips into the red zone for the opposition have been nine touchdowns. <laughs> You're not going to win a ton of games doing that. that. You can't. Yep. You can't be that. That cannot be you. And you are a better defense than the Syracuse offense. You cannot allow that to happen. You're a better defense than the UNLV offense, and you allow them to do it three times. Yep. So you you have to be better. You have to be better in the red zone defensively. Meantime, Syracuse's defense, sixth in the nation, allowing just 15 points a game. They allow 123 rushing yards, 171 passing yards. They force 13 turnovers, seven interceptions, and six fumbles. So, you know, they'll, they'll come at you. It's a 3-3-5 yeah. scheme. They will bring a fourth guy up to the line quite a bit. What do you think of this defense, Vince? Well, I see 3-3-5, and I get excited about running the football. And I'm sure that the Notre Dame staff is thinking the same thing. I hope not to a fault. Yeah, uh, I mean, you still need to run the ball. You still Please. need to use play action. But a three-front with three linebackers, I mean, the 3-3 stack – Man, offensive coordinators drool over that when you have a good defensive line uh, because now your guards are uncovered and they can get free to the second level so much easier where they're not used to being able to do that, right? And so, again, this is going to be a big game also for uh, Notre Dame center. He, he's, I mean, he, he's going to have to play well because he's going to have a man on his yeah. head and centers aren't used to having a man on their head. And it's like a smaller, he's a smaller guy. You know, he's not a huge nose guard, but he's just a, you know, like getting your kind of. He's like one of those wrestler and, types. He's yeah, like that's one of those exactly wrestler right. Nose Low center of gravity kind of guy. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, you know, again, I love an odd front. I love a three down when you have a good offensive line. No, I think we can safely say seven games in, Notre Dame has a good offensive line. They should be able to take advantage of this defensive front for Syracuse. But again, you cannot only run the football. You have to do more than that. Yes. You have to right. do more than that. Be more diverse. That's yes. exactly right. Clemson did run for 293 against them last week. So, And that's how they lost the game, honestly. Clemson just ran it right up their throat. Notre Dame has the ability to do that. They do. Yep. I, I would put Notre Dame's offensive line up there with, with uh, Clemson's offensive line, right? I think Shipley is better than the running backs that Notre Dame has, but as a whole, all three, Notre Dame has a better running back room than Clemson. They should be able to run the ball against Syracuse. Absolutely. Stymie wants to know, do you need to run scan against the three-man front? Can they just line up and go? You don't need the scan offense to run against anything. You, you don't need the scan offense ever, okay? We're they trying to be perfect. To We're yes. trying to be perfect. Be good exactly. enough. Be, be yes. confident in yourself that you can go up and line up and beat the other guy off the ball. Yep, that's exactly right. You don't need the scan offense ever, regardless of what the defense is doing.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com